All right, open your Bibles to Ruth chapter 3. And uh, my question to you this morning, do you know, ladies, what makes up a virtuous woman? And actually, this is a uh, sermon on virtuosity, if you will. And so we can all benefit from this for certain. You remember, may not, remember last semester, I preached the message on the characteristics of a mighty man. And there, I said that a mighty man is a leader. He's one who stands in the face of opposition, never forgets God's word. He's disciplined and well-trained. He's loyal. He understands that he ain't got a majority. And he realized that his life is designed to be given. So I finished with the idea that a, a mighty man is mighty, but only, the only purpose for that mightiness, even physical strength, is when it's given to other people. And that's when it becomes purposeful. And now, a virtuous woman. We have, uh, in the Bible, a lot of types. And I always remember 1 Corinthians, try to, uh, chapter 10, uh, verse 11, where it says that these things, that is the Old Testament, were given for an example to us, and they are for our admonition. So we look at the Old Testament, and we're to see where there are... uh, examples, and uh, to follow that example, be it good or bad, not to follow the bad ones, of course, and then it's given for our admonition, so it's for teaching. So we'll look at the, the life of people in the Old Testament, and we're to learn from that. So that's what I want to do today. I want to use Ruth as an example of a virtuous woman, and so um, we can all learn from this, of course, but uh, we want to know um, what the Bible says about this, and we want to follow what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10. The uh, need for uh, virtuous women nowadays is uh, probably cannot be valued enough uh, or said enough. Uh, The society has so erased the idea of of virtuousness that they believe that being a mother is is downgrading, that women are downgraded when they're mothers and wives. And uh, so it's gone completely. In fact, the Bible says just the opposite. That that's the thing that, uh, that, that elevates uh, ladies. In, in fact, I would say that Christianity, uh, among all other religions, and of course it is the only one true religion, elevates the, the status of, of ladies. It's a very important thing. Um, I can remember uh, that when I, we were in New York, I was there for two years, New York State, my father-in-law's church there, and we used to have a truck stop ministry. So in between services on Sunday, we would go, and we would have a service. We'd bring the truckers in there. You probably do that here um, also. I know I've preached in the trucks up here a couple of times. And uh, so this trucker came, and uh, I'm telling you, and I'm not trying to be funny here, I have no idea if it was a male or a female. No idea. And you probably know what I'm talking about. And they have some men that try real hard to look like women, and you have just the opposite. But if it was that way, I could probably tell, you know, this, that's a fake woman or whatever. But I could not come up with it. And so I'm asking, you know, because you, you kind of are confronted with a social faux pas. Uh, faux pas. That means false step. Like you commit a blunder socially. Okay? That's French faux pas. If it, anyway. So uh, you, you, can, you commit a blunder. A social blunder. In other words, I run the risk of using the wrong pronoun here. So I want to know what gender this person is. Because you might know our pronouns are gender related. You know, like he, she, might realize that. And so I wanted to make sure I knew which one. So I thought, well, I'll ask uh, this person's name. The person's name was Pat. (laughs) 
Strike two. <laughs> so I spent the whole time there wondering what to call Pat. And uh, so I asked around. I asked the guy that was with me. I go, male, female? Oh, she wasn't any help. And I think I was pre- preaching that day. So it was a problem. But uh, thankfully here, uh, there's no question when you look at somebody, that's a man, that's a woman. Amen. That's a good thing. There should be that distinction. But with Pat, there was not. And so, um, but we, we need uh, virtuous women. We need people, ladies, that are going to tell that are going to say themselves, uh, what the Bible says about being virtuous is what I'm going to pattern my life after, and I'm going to do that. And so we're going to look at that. Um, people all have their rights nowadays. Minorities and women are no different. So you have this uh, women's liberation movement. So the whole idea, now think with me, women's liberation means that they're being liberated from something. And in their minds, what is that? Well, it's the oppression of being a mother and a wife. That's what that is. I was reading something a while back. It was in a magazine somewhere. But it said the um, mistake of the nuclear family. And so it said the nuclear family being mom, dad, kids, and all that. Uh, and so they said, where do we go from here? That kind of thing. And so they claimed that the idea or the way that things were back, say, in the 50s or whatever before the time, the idea of a nuclear family was no good. No, it didn't work. So they're looking at the results. And uh, so... I thought to myself, well, it doesn't work because people, they, they don't want it to work. They didn't do it properly. It wasn't done the right way. So the expectation of the Lord for um, women is that they be uh, virtuous women. They, they are the, the very uh, picture of that. And our world's funny, isn't it? Because the women will downplay the idea of being a mother. And yet, Mother's Day, I think, is the third most popular holiday in the United States. So it's like, Okay, so if being a mo- mother is a very popular thing, why downplay it? But at any rate, that's, the, that's, the, that's where we live in, right? Kill the baby, save the whales. And so this is, this is, our, this is our world. You know if you get uh, into an accident and you kill a pregnant woman, you know how many charges of murder it is? Two. Now that woman, five minutes before, could have gone legally into a clinic and gotten an abortion perfectly legal. Anyway, so... Um, People have their rights. But, you know, when, when minorities want, their, want equality, they really don't want equality, do they? They really want preference. And so I think what I'm going to do, uh, I understand that 10%, less than 10% of the population are left-handed. So I'm going to start a movement for rights for left-handed people. Because, after all, the, the world is completely biased. I mean, you, for example, uh, the connotation of left-handedness is negative. I'll prove it to you. People say, I've got two left feet. That's a bad thing, isn't it? But then they say, this is my right-hand man. Now, wait a minute. Why can't it be your left-hand man? That's not fair. That is not fair. How many left-handers we have here? Are you with me? Right? Okay, I hope so. We're going to start there. We're going to get rights. We're going to get rights. We, want to, we don't want equality. We want preference. And so... Um, they say, a little bit more about left-handed people, I don't know why, I did my research, so I want to tell you. But uh, they say that left-handed people are more prone to schizophrenia. <laughs> 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 yeah, I guess that's, hmm. found this interesting. Research seems to indicate that um, when looking at babies in, in the womb there, that when the mother is underneath more stretch, stress, pardon me, the baby tends to use its left hand. So they say that left-handedness might be linked, at least in some degree, about the stress that a mother has during pregnancy. Interesting. At any rate, who knows? 
Um, but I will say this, uh, not only is the world in need of virtuous women, but the, the, the ministry is too. I think that probably a lot of missionaries, unfortunately, come off the field because the woman becomes very discontented. And so they have to come off the field. Um, you uh, have a mom who is a very uh, you know, heavy-handed mom in the home, and the boys end up being pretty confused. Uh, you know, so you've got these uh, Christian women in that church. They're as sweet as could be, singing from the hymnals and all of that. They're so sweet. They say in the South, the sugar wouldn't melt in their mouth. And yet they go home, they throw their sergeant stripes on, they pull out their bullhorn, and here we go. You know, so that genders confusion. I think that's why a lot of young, young boys end up being a little funny because of that. So um, the, the Bible tells us what the clear role of women is, and even women, uh, their role in the churches. Everybody has their role, and it's a very important one. And so the decision should be to be a virtuous woman. Um, the, um, now, in the world, the picture of a... Uh, this is I'm using bad verbiage, but the picture perfect woman. What does the world say it is? Well, you have to have this perfect, uh, you know, pardon me, you know, perfect, uh, you have to be very beautiful, perfect, you know, model-looking kind of thing. It's what you have to be or else you're worthless. You're just not worth anything. And that's the world. And it's a very di- difficult thing to, to follow, isn't it? But the Lord gives worth to people outside of that. By the way, same thing for men. Unless you're this muscle-bounded person, like right here, then you're, then you're <laughs> unfortunately, you're just inferior. So with, but that's the world's idea of it. So unless you're completely, absolutely, exactly this way, there's just no worth for you. But that's not true at all. So then I think that women in the world, are, are young ladies, are very, very confused. After all, what makes a woman then? Is it, is it beauty? Is it the fact that she's reserved and demure? Is it standards? Well, let's look at the example of Ruth, and let's see what she was and what the Bible says. So you're, you've got your Bibles up, I think, to the book of Ruth. Chapter 3, verse 11, there says, And now my daughter... This is Boaz. By the way, Boaz is a picture of Christ. We talked about typology before. And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest. For all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. I guess Ruth was indeed a virtuous woman, wasn't she? So let's look at her life and see what examples here. Now, um, the example of Susanna Wesley was used last night, and she was uh, somebody that certainly was put under a difficult situation and had to do the best she can with all those kids. And uh, she did, I think, have 25, but six of them died at childbirth, I think. So she really had 19, John and Charles being two of them. Um, but history tells us, really, that if you look at their lives, many of them were, you know, John and Charles were good Christians, but their brothers and sisters were not. And, uh, in fact, Susanna Wesley herself wasn't even saved until much later uh, in life. However, she was put in a situation where she had to, uh, to do things on herself. There was a dispute, they say, between her husband, she and her husband, and that he left them for a year. And he was a minister, but he was oftentimes not at home. And so we know this from letters that she wrote. So she was put under a very difficult situation. And I think certainly she did the best she could with the situation she was in. But my point is that the best people to look at is the people that God puts up for examples. And so we'll look at the example of Ruth here. And I'll say the first thing that we see that makes Ruth a virtuous woman, we see in chapter 1, verse 16. So if you go, to there, with, go there with me. And uh, verse 16, And Ruth said, Entreat me not, so he's, she's speaking to Naomi. 
Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. Okay, now let's back up for a second. Who is this Ruth? So she's a Moabitess. Okay, so she married uh, one of Naomi's sons. And uh, so she grew up uh, undoubtedly underneath some uh, picture of Judaism. Okay, so she understood some things. And so when they were going to leave, she, uh, it says, I think later on here, clave unto her uh, mother-in-law. And she said, entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. So Ruth says, don't ask me to leave you. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my, and thy God, my God. Where thou diest, she goes on, will I die. So in other words, she's saying, don't ask me to leave you again. In fact, whatever happens, I'm going to be with you. And the more also, if aught put but death part thee and me. Uh, when she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, this says of Naomi, then she left speaking unto her. There was no sense in trying to convince her because her, her mind was set. Now, see Ruth in here, I think, a person then. What, what, what quality does that show then? I think this shows what we would call conviction. She was a person of conviction. So a virtuous person, and a virtuous woman in this case, is a, is a woman with conviction. Now, the word conviction... Uh, comes from two words. It really means with victory. So a, uh, a person with conviction is somebody that has, that has set some principles down in their life and they've, they've got them nailed, nailed down. And there's, there's lines in their life that they're not going to step over and they're not going to be swayed. Okay? So this is the idea of conviction. A, a person with conviction is a person that is a very strong person. And I think probably the uh, main uh, characteristic of a, uh, a person with conviction is stability. That person is a stable person in their life. And so Ruth was a very stable person. The home uh, is stable many times because of mom. And uh, mom is the one that stabilizes a home. And I'm not saying that dad doesn't have a part in it, but if the, just think with me, if the women's liberation movement has produced a destruction in the home, then how important is mom's place in that home? And with, with this then, uh, Ruth was a person of conviction. And uh, she had she nailed some things down in her life. You see what I mean? She was settled. She wasn't going to be moved. And uh, uh, so that, that is the idea of stability. The Bible says in un, un, um, uh, something is unstable in all his ways. I just forgot it. And un, what is it? Yeah, double mind. Thank you. Okay, you guys should be up here. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So this idea of double-mindedness. Well, Ruth wasn't that way. She was single-minded in this. The Lord said, "If your uh, vision be single, your whole body will be filled with light." And so there is one single stable thing. And so a young lady that understands some things and like Ruth is not going to be swayed. I mean, even Naomi herself said, "I don't have any other sons. You should go back to your kindred." But she wasn't going to be swayed. She, had, she, she evidently accepted uh, Ruth, uh, Naomi's God, ex- accepted her people. And no matter what happens, uh, I'll die before I not follow you. Well, this is a person of conviction. Now, I'm going to brag on my wife a little bit. Uh, when we were first married, and I'm going to make myself look really bad here so you'll like this. And uh, we were at church here. <clears throat> this was when I was in college. And uh, we would go visiting on our bus route, I think, on Thursdays. And uh, so we lived over here in the Orchard Apartments. And we were just married. And I uh, was, we had one car, which worked half of the time. And so I took it to go visiting. And so I told my wife, I said, well, you, you stay here, and then I'll come back and get you after visitation. So I'm sitting in the church service, and just during that uh, 
the workers' meeting. And I thought to myself, where's my wife? She should be here. <laughs> so I'm sitting there in the service wondering where she's at. And then it occurred to me, oh, my word, I forgot to pick her up. So I race across my park. Was, the car was parked in the parking lot here. I race across. So I get into my car, and I'm, it's snowing outside, real bad, snowing real heavy outside. And uh, so I, I tear out of the parking lot, and I head down the road, and my lights shined upon my wife. She was walking the church. She had an umbrella. And I thought, wow, after feeling really horrible, at the same time, I thought, wow, that's a person of conviction. She's got lines in her life. There's, she's not gonna, see, there's one thing that I know about her. With or without me, she's going to serve the Lord. And that should be the kind of person that you are. And uh, so I got a very good lady, thank the Lord. Um, this is the idea of conviction. The Bible says in Proverbs 14:1, Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. So a house should be a stable place. Children should grow up with stability in a home. I didn't have that very early. My, I didn't have stability in my home. Uh, there was divorce and leaving, and, and, and so uh, as a result, I don't even really know my mom. I'm starting to get to know her a little bit, but I don't really even know her. didn't grow up with her. And uh, so there was instability, instability uh, in, in the home. And uh, so children should, should grow up with stability in the home. Now, I'm not saying it's always a woman's fault. I'm not saying that. But a woman of conviction makes it for a stable home. And so, young men, you should be looking for ladies with conviction. Get, get one like I've got, and you'll be all right. Number two, uh, let's look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech. Uh, so let's see, Elimelech, uh, my God is king. And his name was Boaz. And Ruth and the Moabites said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. We jump down to verse 15. Uh, and when she was risen up to glean, and Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. And let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her, and leave them, that she may glean them, and rebuke her not. And so she gleaned in the field until even, and beat out that she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Now, that's about six gallons of barley. And so she gleaned a lot. In fact, it was enough almost for an entire week. Now, granted, the handfuls of purpose was part of that, but she still had to pick it up. My point is this. A virtuous woman has a very good work ethic. Uh, the idea of gleaning in the Bible is uh, that the people that owned the field were not to, to they were to leave some there, be it certainly the borders of the field and maybe whatever falls. And so they were to go through one time and get, get what they wanted to and then leave the rest for the poor. So gleaning was difficult work in, in the... In the um, South, you had what are called sharecroppers, and that was a very difficult way to uh, live. I had there was an elderly lady that was in our church there, and uh, she was she came from an old sharecropper family, and I and I I come to believe that that was a very 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 difficult, hard, backbreaking work. They had to when she was young, they would say. I heard this from somebody else that before they could have dinner, they had so the cotton back then had the little seed in there, and you had to take the seed out before they had the cotton gin or if they didn't have one, which is the idea is to take the seed out of there so you can use the cotton. Uh, they had to do it by hand, and it wasn't an easy thing to do. And before she could have dinner, she had to fill, I think, a boot filled with seeds before she can do that. So that was a lot of work that they had to go through. 
And I think we've lost a lot of uh, work ethic because we think that, and especially as Americans, we think we have to have everything. We have to have a dishwasher. No, you don't. You have to have a microwave. No, you don't. You have to have everything. You have, I remember my, my grandmother washing on a washboard uh, when I was a little kid. And there was a sink there, and she would just, and I think the clothes got cleaner, quite frankly. But she would fold them over, and she would go like this and scrub one, and then she'd fold them over again. And again, she'd ring them through the thing and hang them up. That's exactly the way she did it. And uh, that was hard work. You had to spend a whole day doing wash that day. Um, but we think that if, unless we have everything that we need, that we can't get it through life. You, you can, actually. It's funny how you can. Uh, you don't even need a microwave. You just have a little flame there, and you can cook what you need to. And so I think uh, we've lost this idea of, of, of a good work ethic, and now they're talking about having robots do everything for us, you know, harvest the fields and everything. It's going from bad to worse. But harvesting back then... Uh, I think you understand that. What did Ruth have to do? She had to bend over and pick all those seeds up. It was backbreaking work. And uh, so she was willing to do it. And she had a good work ethic. And she was going to, if they were going to survive, Naomi didn't have any more sons. And so Ruth took the place, you might say, of a son in her life and uh, was able to work that way. Uh, you cannot go wrong uh, having a good work ethic. You know, if you, if you think like you have to have everything that all the modern conveniences, then you're, you're just wrong. You don't need those things. And you can do fine if you're just willing to, to work and to make things work. So we have a saying, my wife and I, when things go, um, when, when you start to think, well, what are we going to do if this happens? We have a saying, you do what you have to do. You just do what you have to do. So if those things come, no matter what it is, we'll do what we have to do. And uh, so you have that mindset. You're not going to crumble. You're not going to fall apart. You do what you have to do. And so um, <clears throat> this, this is a work ethic, and this is um, what, what I think we've, we, I know we've lost that. And I can remember, anyway, I can go on and on, I guess, about that. But um, if you can imagine even harvesting corn back then, you had to grab a sickle and cut the corn or a machete or something, cut the corn and bundle it together. And you can imagine fields and fields and fields, you'd spend all day long doing those things. And I've done some of that, not very much, but I have done some. I grew up on a ranch in Dyer, about five acres, and my grandfather had uh, all kinds of animals and everything. So you, you learned just to, that you have to go out every single day, twice a day, every day, a day and it never, it never stops. And so your life is uh, really wrapped around that. But the point is that you should have a good work ethic, and you should have the mindset to, do, to say to yourself, well, whatever happens in our life, if, we, if the whatever, we do what we have to do. And we'll, we'll make it happen, and we'll get through it. And so that's an important uh, virtue to have, hard work. So a good work ethic. Also, um, uh, in addition to that, we talked about, um, and why do I freak that conviction? Yes, of course, a good work ethic. And number three, look at verse 10 of chapter 2. So we're building this case. What's a virtuous woman? Look at verse 10. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? So Ruth understood that she didn't belong. She didn't have any right really to be there. She was from Moab. She didn't have a right to be there. Now, just imagine with me falling before somebody on your face in front of somebody. Imagine doing that. What, what, what kind of action would that be? It's, it's extremely humble, isn't it? That's a humble attitude. Um, we don't. Again, I think in our American society, we've lost this. In other societies, they bow and they have respect and that sort of thing. We just don't have this kind of thing, and we should. Because um, 
humility is in the Lord's eyes something that's very, very, he counts it very dear to him. And I've, I've seen examples of, of humility that way, and it always fascinated me. And I think it's because I can't imagine myself doing some things like that, like um, uh, even washing somebody's feet or that kind of thing. We would consider that a disgusting thing. But, but people do it, and it's a humble position, but they take that position. And even there's some people that take it, and they take it joyfully, they take it peacefully. It's, it's something that is, is oftentimes very foreign. And it's because I guess I'm, I'm, I'm full of pride is what it is. I can't imagine myself bowing down before somebody like that. But that, that, that idea of humbleness is, and I've got some other examples. I don't th- I think I'll go through it. But uh, humbleness is really an amazing thing. I'll give you one. I was visiting in a hospital one day. I, th- I said this before. And uh, there was a, uh, a man there that we were visiting. And he was, his pain-killing medicine, he just went through an operation. That bag, I guess, was about to be depleted. And so he's bringing the buzzer because he didn't want it to be depleted. He didn't have to go through that pain. And so uh, he wanted them to fill it up again. So in came these two uh, nurses. One of them was a lady and then one of them was, was a man. And uh, the lady came first and he started yelling at them because he was upset that they, they weren't going to get on to the fact that the bag needed to be full and that kind of thing. And she took it very offensively. And she turned away, and she went to the desk over there and did her own thing because she didn't want to tell him something, I guess. But when this man, then the man kind of took a step forward and was listening to him, ranting and raving about this. And I can remember thinking to myself, well, he's probably going to be pretty upset. But he wasn't at all. I found out later he was from, not that this matters, but he was a foreign. He was from, uh, he was African. I forget the country. Um, But... He, he just kind of bowed, and he would say, he would say yes, sir. I think he would say, yes, sir. And it, may, it took the, um, I don't know, the bullets out of that guy's gun. He couldn't because of this just humility. But that hu- humble kind of attitude, it was an amazing thing to me. And I remember thinking to myself, boy, I wish I could be like that. I wish I could be that humble. I wish I could. And he did it, and it wasn't fake. It wasn't like, um, you know, patterned or anything. It was, it was genuine. And I thought to myself, wow, that was an, that's a powerful thing. So that kind of humbleness um, is what the Lord considers to be a virtue, a great virtue. Um, the Bible says of women in 1 Timothy 2.9, in like manner that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. We might go to Proverbs uh, 7. Um, yeah, let's go there. Okay, this is the opposite. Uh, Proverbs 7 is the opposite of the shamefacedness. So you have here... Uh, let's see, verse 9, Proverbs 7, 9. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night, and behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot and subtle of heart. Look at verse 11. She is loud and stubborn. Is this shamefacedness? She is loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. Now is she without, now in, in the streets, and lieth and wait at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him, and with an impudent, impudent face said unto him, I have peace offerings with me, and so forth. We could read on. But the point is, she's very, very forward, very, very aggressive in her, in her demeanor. It's not shamefacedness at all. It's just the opposite. It's the opposite of humility. Well, this is not at all what the Lord considers to be virtuous. Number four, so we, so we have conviction. We have uh, humility. We have having a good work ethic. And then look at verse 11, back in Ruth, chapter 2, verse 11. And Boaz answered and said unto her, 
It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity, of thy nativity, and art come unto the people which thou knewest not heretofore. So this is Boaz speaking to her, and he said he basically looks at her life and he sees how she's treated her mother-in-law. And she treated her mother-in-law with respect. She treated her mother-in-law with, with, with honor. And I suppose that what makes a virtuous woman, and virtuous in any, anybody really, is the respect they have for their elders. And so Naomi was Ruth's elder, and she uh, treated her with the utmost of respect. And uh, the, again, in Proverbs 7, this idea of the impudent face is a disrespectful kind of face. And uh, so... Um, Anyway, the way that uh, a young lady treats, you know, if you want to know if a young lady is a, going to be a good wife, just listen to her talk to her mom. The way that she talks to her mom is a real good mark. And I can remember uh, there used to be a payphone in the hallway right over here uh, years ago. <laughs> like, what's a payphone? Anyway, it's a payphone. And a young lady was uh, speaking on the phone. And uh, I found out later she was talking to her mom, and I thought she was talking to a friend or even an enemy, just the way that she was talking to her. And I thought to myself, that's not right at all. And uh, there, there should be a, a measure of respect. And so a young lady should respect her mother and, and, and have a very good relationship that way. And so not only that, but just the respect of elders. Again, we've lost that in our society. We're not, we, don't, we consider them to be off the scene, that kind of thing. Um, but... That's simply not the case. Uh, in, in other societies, they have terms they use for elder people. In, in Spanish, they might say don or doña. These words mean gift, and you say that to elderly people. So there's an older man in my Sunday school class, and we always call him Don Jose. And the idea is a title of respect. We're, you're saying this person is a gift to society because the word means gift. And we don't have anything like that. Uh, but there's, there's respect built into other cultures, and we can learn from that. And so respect of elders. Um, then, what's another thing? A couple more. Uh, what, what, what made up Ruth's uh, virtuosity, if you will. Look at chapter 3, verse 5. <clears throat> this is speaking to Naomi. Naomi gives her instructions what to do with Boaz. And we reach verse 5, and it says, And she said unto her, All that thou sayest unto me, I will do. You see, she was simply obedient. And when the Bible says that a woman is to be in silence with all subjection. This is what is expected. And uh, Naomi was that way. She said, I will do it. She was going to be in. So I suppose that she was the kind of person that when Naomi asked her to do that, and Ruth said, I'll do it, Naomi didn't worry about it anymore. She knew it was going to be done. So this is the kind of uh, the thing that the Lord expects of, of a virtuous person. And uh, so to be uh, obedient, many... Uh, this day are just the opposite. They, they want to, instead of being obedient, they want to run things and they want to be, well, it's simply not what the Lord has uh, in, in, for, for a virtuous person. Uh, then, uh, a couple more things. Uh, look at chapter 4, verse 14. So, uh, Neil, uh, Ruth, excuse me, has her first son, first baby boy, Obed. And we get to verse 14, and it says, And the women, women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer 
of uh, thy life, and a nourisher of thine old age, for thy daughter-in-law, which thou loveth, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. You know what a virtuous woman is? A virtuous woman is a, an asset instead of a liability. Ruth wasn't the kind of, uh, of lady that, that, that stole and took resources and used and wasted things. She was just the opposite. She was an asset. The, the, the women here said that you're, she is better to you than seven sons. Wow, that's quite, a, that's quite something, isn't it? Seven sons. Imagine having seven sons. There would be a lot of capacity there for, for movement and a lot of potential. But she said she's better to you than even seven sons. An asset instead of a liability. Um, somebody that instead of robs things and takes away, uh, then they um, are, are prepared. And so they're prepared to do that. So a, a young lady should prepare herself to be that kind of person. Should prepare herself in whatever is necessary so that she can be a liability, or an asset, pardon me, as opposed to a liability in the home and, and in her family and in the church and in every area. And then lastly, of course, resulting, a virtuous woman, we have to say this, is blessed of the Lord. Look at verse 18. Now, these are the generations of Pharaoh. As Pharaoh's begat Hezron, and we can go on. And I think you understand this is of the line of Christ. And so no, Naomi, uh, pardon me, Ruth uh, was in the Lord's eyes so virtu- such a virtuous person that uh, he, he blessed her because of it. And so in the end, although in the beginning Ruth had difficulties and lost her husband, in the end, the Lord blessed her because she was a virtuous woman. She learned how to do that. And the Lord undoubtedly will um, reward these things. So let's go then to um, a couple more verses, and we'll look at the opposite, and uh, then we'll be, we'll be finished. Uh, let's go back to Proverbs 31. Remember I said what the world's view of what a, uh, the worth of a female, young lady, pardon me, is uh, they have to be this perfect looking and, and they have to have everything like that. But what does the Bible say? Look at verse chapter Proverbs 31, verse 30. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. In the end, she will be praised. Uh, then it says, give her the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. So you see, beauty in the end, in the Lord's eyes, is really vain. It's really not worth very much. And it says that uh, favor is deceitful. What does that mean? It means that a young lady that, that uh, would follow the world's ways of doing things will end up with favor, certainly, but that favor is deceitful. And so um, what kind of uh, man would be attracted to a worldly woman? Well, let's look what the Bible says. Go to, go to Proverbs 7 if you're there. What kind of man is a worldly woman going to attract? Verse 6, chapter 7 there, verse 6. For at the window of my house, Solomon says, I looked through my casement and beheld among the simple ones. I discerned among the youths a man void of understanding. So this person that he sees is simple. He's void of understanding. Passing through the street near her corner, and he went the way to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night, and behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot. She was stubborn and so forth. She caught him and kissed him and said, and then uh, jumped down to, uh, come, let us uh, fill our, verse 18, fill of love until the morning. Let us solace ourselves with loves. And for the goodness is not home, he's gone a long journey. He had taken a bag of money with him. and will come home in a day appointed. Then it says here, with her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. 
with the flattery of her lips, she forced him. Okay, so Solomon looks at this man and says he's simple. He's void of understanding. He must be weak. He must be a weak man because he's, he's being led around. Then it says here in verse 22, He goeth after her straight away as an ox goeth to the slaughter, or as a fool. It's the direction of the, of the stocks. So what kind of person is going to be, is, or, or is a young lady going to attract by being in that worldly, a fool? You'll get, you'll get attention. You get attention from a simple person, a person void of understanding, a fool, somebody that's weak. Now, as a young lady here, is that what you want? You want a fool? You want somebody that's just weak and is led so easily by that sort of thing? Or do you want somebody that's a mighty man and that's strong? Those two things go together. So my question was, do you understand what virtuosity is and what a virtuous woman and what the Lord expects of, of this? Hopefully now we have a good idea with the example of Ruth. Let's pray. If you stand, please, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I'll just give a very simple uh, prayer. Ruth was blessed of the Lord. She behaved, behaved herself wisely. She was an asset. She wasn't a liability. Uh, she was... Um, a person of conviction. She was humble. She had a good work ethic. She respected her elders, and she was obedient. As a result, she was blessed of the Lord. And certainly that is what the Lord wants to bless each and every one. And all of you young ladies, he wants to bless you. And in the end, that will be the case if you will behave yourself, as Ruth did, in a virtuous manner. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love for us. We're grateful to have had this time together and just to open up the Bible and to look at these things. Uh, we look forward to maybe Thursday night and, and then Friday night and trying to be a help to young ladies and an, an encouragement to them and all women in general. And I hope that uh, I was this morning and that it will continue to be so in the next few days. We're grateful, Lord, for your love for us. We're thankful for the Bible and for the examples in the Old Testament that we use for, for examples, and uh, they are for our admonition. We thank you for that and how great, gracious you are to give us these things, and we can pattern our lives after this. Please bless us. Help us all to be people of conviction and have these things in our lives. May we be honored and glorified and bless this invitation time in Jesus' name. Amen. When the music starts, you come.